Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Happy Father's Day. Um, I've entitled this, and I want to tell you the title, and I want to tell you the conclusion uh, beforehand, so that in case we, uh, we get lost somewhere, you have at least got this much. The love of the Father saves us. And what I want to assure you of is this is the conclusion that is coming. But to get there, I think to make sense of what this means, to fill in uh, the, the fullness of this, I think we have to go to a dark place. And so let's do some dark things first. I'm going to read two of the darkest scriptures in all of the Bible. The first one from Matthew 27, verse 3 to 5. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. And then the second scripture from John eighteen twenty-five to 28. I have already claimed uh, in in this, uh, let's see, that I'm adding a little bit here, that in uh, in the sin of Judas that Christ saves us from this sin. And of course, Peter, I think, is not far removed from Jesus. Jesus. And so the, the passage from John is about Peter. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. A simple thought experiment would be to picture the gospel as ending with these two scenes. No resurrection appearances, no final teaching, no transcendent assurance, you know, from Jesus. Uh, Jesus' teaching will have turned out to have been, well, that was interesting, but for the most part, it was a lie. Peter's denial might stand as the final turning point of his life. Judah's suicide, well, it would be tragic, but it's not as tragic recognizing that he's betrayed the Son of God because Jesus would have turned out not to have been the Son of God. John and James, maybe they would go back to being fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. They would probably feel tricked and disillusioned. Peter would maybe still be stewing in the bitterness of his denial. Maybe he would take the same route of Judas eventually. Maybe he'd hang himself. 
Thomas will have been proven right to question Jesus, to doubt. Probably the apostles would all continue. They would lie low. They would hide out. I don't know. Maybe several of them would take their lives. Certainly they would be in despair. Maybe they would just go back to being tax collectors, zealots, fishermen. They would be bitter, despairing. They would recognize they had been hoodwinked by Jesus. There would be no Paul seeing the risen Jesus. No New Testament would be written. No church would arise. I'm trying to paint a dark picture here, but remember the light is coming. But let's paint it a little bit darker. We could begin to imagine a world with all the things that are directly and indirectly connected to Christianity. There would be no world transformation you know, of the dignity and sanctity of human life. We would be left with a degraded notion of women. We would be left without civil liberties. We would be left without codes of justice. There would be no call to education and literacy for all. There would most likely be no universities, no hospitals, no inspiration for great works of art, music, and literature. Human life would still be considered cheap and expendable. Concepts of aiding the poor, defending the helpless, would have no foundation. And having lived in Japan for maybe you know, 20 years, maybe it's easier for me to pull off this mental experiment because you begin to see all of the threads of Christianity. But, uh, you know, in Japan, one of the highest suicide rates in the world, it was a very common experience in my commute. I was commuting in daily that the trains would be delayed because someone had jumped in front of the train wasn't a daily experience, but maybe a weekly experiment experience just on the line that I was on. It was so common that they begin to put mirrors up uh, across from the platform, hoping that if somebody caught an image of themselves jumping in front of the train, they wouldn't jump. But even modern Japan, you know, it's not quite fair because even modern Japan with its very small percentage of Christians, has been greatly impacted by this less than 1% percentage. At the most basic level, there are trade unions, there's the constitution, there's the political system, which has arisen from a Christian influence. But maybe at a more personal level, the, the rates of suicide, the personal misery, may be more abundant, I don't know. The force which would cause people to put the rope around their neck like Judas, like Anthony Bourdain just a couple weeks ago, like Kate Spade. Maybe it's no great mystery. Life is full of despair. There's the despair of dysfunctional families, loneliness, alienation, cruelty, the pointlessness of everything. And I guess in the case of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, that money and success do not seem to help. They had reached the heights of success in their respective fields. Uh, They had made it in terms of career, money. Bourdain's mother, Gladys, said of him, 
Uh, he is absolutely the last person in the world I would have ever dreamed would do something like this. Still, I do not think it is any great mystery. We all understand the experience of a Judas who has his 30 pieces of silver and recognizes the futility of it, nothing left to live for. We understand the despair of Peter who has betrayed everything he believes in, denied everything, and is not sure what he believes anymore about anything. Judas, Peter, they had good reason for despair. They were left without meaning prior to the resurrection. They were left without the love which is required, I think, for life to continue. And by this love, I do not just mean any of the things that we might think of, you know. Uh, I imagine Judas and Peter, maybe all of the apostles, maybe they had good marriages, happy marriages. Maybe they lived in relatively happy homes. They seemed to have thriving businesses, successful fishing business. One of the first things, by the way, that Peter does, he says, boys, let's go fishing. Uh, And that's even after the initial resurrection appearances. And it's on this fateful fishing trip that he seems to be finally and fully restored from the despair of having denied Christ. And quite simply, what he needed to save him, and I think what we all need to save us, is a unique sort of love. It's what John is going to define as agape love. Now, I do not think agape love is simply fatherly love. But what I would say is that the love of parents, the love of family, the love of a spouse, maybe that's the place from which we begin to understand the love of God. Let me reverse course a minute. We can say that what often gives rise to despair is a failed love, a failed family. Uh, If you would take the famous suicides, you know, the most famous suicides of the 20th century. Maybe one of them was Kurt Cobain, the lead singer of Nirvana. Uh, In his, you know, the journals that he kept, actually his his life seemed to just go miserable from the time of his parents' divorce. He seemed to have just never recovered from that. Sylvia Plath, the poet who lost her father as a child. Uh, She would write poetry that is just all all of her life would describe uh, a primal loss. She describes a, a loss of belief. She puts it this way, how I would like to believe in tenderness. Um... You may not know it, but perhaps the most spectacular suicide of the 20th century was Yukio Mishima, who killed himself in the self-defense forces offices in Japan. Uh, Helicopters were flying over. It was the most public suicide, I think, perhaps in, in the 20th century, certainly. But what we learn about Mishima is something... Uh, that is quite domestic that from early childhood he was lost his parents not literally physically but he was put with his grandmother and he felt isolated 
And he spent his whole life searching for love. Despair, the circumstance of loss, a lost parent, an isolated childhood, maybe the isolated, alienated ego that we all feel, it begins to describe what Judas, what Peter must have felt. Jesus is arrested. His movement seems to be finished. I cannot imagine a heavier weight of existential despair than that which descended on the apostles at Jesus' arrest. Peter and Judas, in their own way, had failed Jesus. They had, in fact, been a part of the arrest of Jesus. Judas directly, through betrayal, and Peter just through sheer moral failure. So if Jesus had not intervened into this dark situation... I presume the darkness and despair of Peter and Judas, the despair of Bourdain, Spade, Mishima, Cobain, and Plath would be the most prominent feature of the world. Apart from the resurrection, I assume the death of Jesus would have been long forgotten. Maybe the most famous death apart from Jesus' death without his resurrection, would be the suicide of Socrates, the one who died for an unjust city-state. Maybe we would come and commemorate Socrates. Were there no intervention, no resurrection, no possibility of agape love, tragedy, and understand the Greek tragedy, that might be the most noble expression tragic suicide as it existed in Japan, as it existed in ancient Greece. Maybe that would be the best that civilization would have to offer. What we can say is that futile desire, the death drive, masochism, it seems not to be stymied by human achievement. Maybe suicide is the most natural course. I said I was going to go dark, right? Isn't Judas following the course of least resistance, which is carrying along all of the apostles in their various betrayals and denials? Judas gain at the expense of Jesus. You know, he gets 30 pieces of silver. Maybe that's different from Peter's salving his, his life through denying Jesus, but only by degree. Even prior to his denial, Peter's taking of Malchus' ear is a kind of suicidal act, isn't it? Suicide by temple police, we might call it. The general abandonment of hiding of the group, it describes a situation in which given an interrupted, uninterrupted course of events, maybe it would have driven all of the disciples to a Judas-Peter-like desperation. The difference that the teaching of Jesus makes and the difference the resurrection makes, I believe can be summed up in agape love. The cumulative teaching, especially in the book of John, with Jesus washing the disciples' feet, the high priestly prayer, the resurrection appearances and final discourse, 
is the message of, of, of agape love. And I haven't defined that yet, and we need to define it. But agape, I believe, precisely constitutes the alternative to despair or to suicide. Peter is representative, I think, of the, he, you know, the story of Peter, especially in the Gospel of John, but in all the Gospels, is representative of the saving nature of agape. That is, we see the entire movement with Peter. He will be cleansed of his denial in the final scene of the gospel in John chapter 21 when he embraces Jesus' notion of self-sacrificial love. And this is not simply an addition to salvation. You know, you're saved and then you get to love. I believe agape is salvation. It is precisely salvation in the face of the murderous and suicidal orientation that seemed to infect everyone around Christ, including his own apostles. So in the final scene, you know, they've seen Jesus, but they don't quite understand it yet. Peter said, let's go fishing, boys. And they're going back to what they know. And they spend the night catching nothing. Remember, John doesn't record these things. Just, you know, he says they spent the night, night, futilely fishing. They did not. He connects the rising sun with the risen sun whom they see on the shore as they're coming in from a night of fishing with no, no fish. And the man on the shore calls out to them. Hey boys, have you caught anything? He calls them children. My children, have you caught anything? And of course they say, no, it's been a fruitless night. And I think John means to contrast the two things. That is the night of you know, futile fishing and the morning in which they cannot bring in the fish. After the great catch of fish, after the night is turned into dawn... The overflowing net. They sit down. Jesus cooks them some breakfast. And then they have this conversation. Let's read this conversation. And this is where I want to conclude. Is John 21 verses 15 to 17. So when they had finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And while it may be in Greek literature, in the Septuagint, maybe there is no clear semantic distinction between agape and phileo, between brotherly love, love of God. 
But by the time we get to the end of John, there is certainly such a distinction. And the distinctive point that John or Jesus is teaching in John is to drive home the nature of this love that exceeds contemporary notions, exceeds the understanding of the Old Testament. This is, Jesus says, a new command. In John 13, 33, Little children, I am with you a little longer. And you can't come where I'm going, but I'm giving you this new commandment. And of course, his whole ministry has been a kind of an illustration of the nature of this new commandment, which is to love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, this is going to be the sign, this is going to be the salvific sign of all those who join the Jesus band. They will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And of course, this is in the context that Jesus is, uh, the ascension is about to occur, the departure of Jesus, and he repeats, love as I love. Love as Jesus loved. That defines, you know, that's the picture in John 13 to 17, even up to, you know, John 21, the farewell discourse. It's really about this unique kind of love that lays down its life. And in so doing, it will mark out those who are Jesus' disciples. And so the primary point of this love, this agape, that lays down its life, Maybe it's only learned in conjunction with Peter and Peter's continual misunderstanding. We've done, you know, the four scenes in John that Peter continually misunderstands. I think he misunderstands for the apostles, but he misunderstands for all of us. In the foot washing scene, Jesus is demonstrating sacrificial service. Peter doesn't, and none of them connect sacrificial service with death. Of course, Martha has just done that in the chapter before. In the denial prediction, you know, Peter gets it. He says, Jesus, your Lord. And he says, and then he, he you know, uh, he says, Lord, you know, you won't die. You can't go up to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, get behind me. And then Peter says, well, I'll lay down my life for you. And Peter, uh, Jesus says, no, Peter, you won't. In fact, eventually you will. But before you do that, you're going to deny me three times. So it does not resist death, this special love. It is a sacrificial death. It does not sacrifice the other. And we get that when Peter cuts off Malchus' ear Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. So Jesus' command to love one another as I've loved, to do so by laying down one's life, I believe it specifically addresses the temptation to despair the disciples may face in Jesus' absence. The consummation of this discussion that we just read, they're around, you know, the imagery, they're around a charcoal fire, just as Jesus or or Peter had been gathered around a charcoal fire in the denial. And so the three denials are undone by the three affirmations. 
Jesus undoes the denial. He undoes the cowardice, the failure of friendship, the fear of death, the murderous and suicidal violence that denial entails. And so Jesus asked Peter two times, if you have agape love. And each time Peter responds, he says, well, I have phileo love. And then Jesus switches and says, do you have phileo? Do you really? Now, whether or not the vocabulary is significant, the point that the, uh, the disciples, you know, the, the, the point is significant that uh, the disciples are only made and sustained through this sacrificial love. That's the, the teaching here. And this is what John must mean when he pictures salvation. He just says, now I've written all these things that believing you may have life in his name. The new commandment of love is life-giving. It eradicates alienation and isolation. Jesus says, keep this commandment and you will abide. That's, there it is, the saving love. You will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus, agape, intervenes where the lost father, the broken family, the obscene authority have aggravated alienation. Salvation is being adopted into a new family. It's being joined in a marriage-like relationship. It's finding brothers and sisters in a new family. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for my friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. And what is he commanded? Well, he's commanded this love. John 15. So the conclusion at its most basic salvation is this love. It's to be found in the Father's love, is the way that Paul describes it in Romans 8.24. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, leading to despair again, leading to suicidal oppression again. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba. Father, and the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. They're still suffering, but within our Father's love, despair and hopelessness are displaced. Paul says, for in hope we have been saved. Let's sing. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, 
or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.